Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I welcome Stefan Delavo to the show. Stefan is a Bahamian economist and an authority on blockchain and fintech in the Caribbean. He is president and CEO of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance, which is a regional NGO formed to advocate for blockchain technology and also to foster its adoption through awareness and education. CBA is supported by major Caribbean blockchain companies, and Stefan has led the blockchain education of software developers, has facilitated various hackathons, and he continues to push to build cohorts of blockchain developers in the region. Stefan has also worked in multilateral financial institutions and in grant-making foundations. He's also the co-founder of the Shift the Culture Startup Advocacy Group, and the Arrowlink Ventures Business Incubator, both based in the Bahamas. Now, in this episode, we talk about the friction-laden traditional worlds of finance and art and how they are extremely vulnerable to distributed ledger technology, so known as blockchain, and decentralized applications, and why this creates opportunities for the Black community in the Caribbean and throughout the diaspora in order to really upend systemic discrimination and truly create generational wealth. Now, Stefan shares a lot of wisdom in this episode, so get ready to take all the notes and then to take action. Okay, before we jump into the episode, please take a moment to follow and then like, share and comment so that others who would benefit from this content can find it. Also, I invite you to visit my website, AdvantageEvans.com, to learn more about my full suite of courses focused on the future of money, work and creativity. This includes the flagship course from Cash Your Crypto and my new course, the NFT Law Guide for Creatives and Collectors. And be sure to register for an upcoming free masterclass on either topic. There's something for everyone from the newbie to the person who wants to take their crypto investments or their creativity to the next level. So seize this opportunity to learn while you earn, create generational wealth and do so safely, legally and confidently with multi-lesson modules, live coaching and community. To be sure, I will give you the unbiased facts in plain language and give you a solid foundation. So be sure to visit AdvantageEvans.com for more information. Okay, it's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Today, I am so very excited to welcome Stefan Delavo to the show. Stefan is a Bahamian economist and a leading authority on blockchain and fintech in the Caribbean. He's the president and CEO of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance, an NGO dedicated to promoting the adoption of blockchain technology in the region. And he's also co-founder of the Shift the Culture Startup Advocacy Group. 
and Arrowlink Ventures Business Incubator, both based in the Bahamas. We will talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Stefan, welcome. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. When we uh, had the opportunity to have a conversation, I knew that whatever time we had, it was not enough. And I wanted to pull you over here to Tech Intersect so that we can continue and my listeners could learn more about CBA and a lot of the amazing work that you're doing. And then I want to pick your brain with a couple of hot topics that are all the rage and, and all the craze right now. But let's begin at the beginning. And even before I ask you about the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance, I have been checking in with all of my guests for the past pandemic-filled year. Better days are ahead. I think that I'm cautiously optimistic about where most of the world, there's definitely countries struggling right now and nobody's out of the woods, except I think for Australia. Australia is on the map if they would actually let an American in, but that's a story for another day. (laughs) But how are you doing? How are you and yours personally, professionally? How goes it? I mean, all things considered, pretty great. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, a lot of craziness is happening but for you know people in the blockchain space they're basically in front of the computer or on their phone 95 percent of the time anyway so it's it's been good to just you know not have too much distractions be able to just sit and, and either focus on work strategize and just dive like for me the last year has basically just been diving a lot deeper into the blockchain space than i had the chance or time to before so it's been a lot of exploration, a lot of learning, most importantly. So on that front, it's been good. Good. Well, I'm, I have had a similar experience where I had the space where I wasn't on a plane every week or driving to and from somewhere that I got a chance to listen more and sit still. And even despite so much of the, the anxiety producing moments and realities of this moment, I, I have me and mine, we have been blessed and, and doing well. So, uh, and in fact, I'm headed to St. Martin in the not too distant future, where really? I will disappear for a good four to five weeks <laughs> and get my entire life back and then come back fully refreshed. And I love the Bahamas as well. We could talk out offline about actually realize now that I, I may know some people that you know, because it's a small world. So let's see. We'll play that game after the app. Interesting. Definitely. Excellent. So talk to me about when you first learned about blockchain technology, crypto, what was your path into the space that'll lead us into your work with information of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance? Oh, man, that's always, always a fun question. So to start off, I mean, this wasn't anything more than slightly trying to figure out what was going on. I think it was either 2011 or 2010. 12 that i first heard about bitcoin and i started to follow it a bit but not really i kind of thought it was you know a toy a game or something like that in in terms of something that people would play around with but never actually be anything serious um Mm -hmm. i i think because i used to go on reddit a lot so i would see like people tipping each other on reddit and stuff like that but i figured that was the extent of what it would be i never really paid any close attention to it i didn't like buy any or anything like that right so it wasn't until i should also mention my background is economics Mm. and post-college because i graduated in 2012 i got deeper into economics but also uh, very much into tech Mm -hmm. and so being in the bahamas if you're you know in finance or economics you pretty much end up in the in the finance space at a commercial bank or at a investment bank right so i was working in finance And then that kind of combination of 
economics and technology that I was kind of paying more attention to brought me into fintech. Mm -hmm. So I fell in like completely in love with fintech, tried to do a few startups. They didn't work out, but that was okay. And it wasn't until it was like 2015 where I started to see that people were talking about blockchain in terms of the fintech aspect. So, you know, banks were kind of looking into it. Other kind of startups were looking into it. And that's when I paid quite a bit more attention. Mm -hmm. So it, it was it was still just like, okay, what is this? What can it do? How many things can it be used for? And I was really intrigued. But it wasn't until maybe a year later in 2016, where I noticed that bit.com, which is blockchain slash crypto company in Barbados, mm -hmm. actually the first one in the region. I found out about them, started looking into them. And I was like, oh, this isn't just abstract to me anymore. This is something that people in my you know region, people from an island are actually doing. So that's when I kind of dove right into it right mm -hmm. so you know basically over let's say the next year i connected with those guys connected with other people in the space in the region we created a, a very small community of people who are interested in the space because even, even then it was like okay we don't just care about people who are buying bitcoin we want to deal with people who are trying to build in the space right right yeah from then it was just let's build and grow this community and that's basically what we've been focused on that is wonderful. And I'm wondering, because you are focused on the entirety of the Caribbean, what the interaction is across the islands. And for example, I serve on the advisory, FinTech Advisory Council for Bermuda and have been involved in a lot of those initiatives. I don't know as much about other islands and, and the engagement, but I know that just from some of the headlines, clearly Bahamians are focused intently on this particular space. So talk about the cross-pollination throughout the island diaspora in the Caribbean. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's very interesting, right? Because... For the Caribbean, for small island states like ours, blockchain, you know, has so much potential, definitely more than, say, in the U.S. and, the, and Europe. And as you and as you already know, because you're working <laughs> with uh, Bermuda, they are absolutely one of, like at the forefront in terms of the region. And it's kind of interesting because you have Bermuda, the Bahamas, Barbados and Cayman that have really been pushing ahead. You know, they already have their crypto bills you know, to try to get more regulation and smart, at least regulation in right. the space, trying to bring more people in who, you know, want to build blockchain companies, etc. But on the other hand, aside from the OECS, there's just been not that much engagement. Somewhat in Jamaica, they're, they're starting to come around for sure. But outside of that, for the most part, there's not been that much engagement, mm. especially not, say, you know, up to a year ago. Mm -hmm the pandemic did kind of open a lot of eyes to the need and the necessity for more digitization, blockchain being a large part of that. So that alone is kind of 
pushing things slightly forward, but there's still so much work to do. Because at the end of the day, we we definitely we're happy that some countries are pushing forward, but it needs to be a regional effort. It can't be, you know, peace, peace. Absolutely. So that certainly leads us to a conversation about the CBA. So talk to us about how the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance came into existence. We already know clearly, given your background, that makes you especially well positioned to lead the charge. But let's talk at a high level about what CBA is. And then I want to get in more specifically to each of the three pillars that you are focused on. I mean, to be honest, the the kind of journey, the path I explained before, that's pretty much how CBA came to be. Mm. So the guys at BIT, especially uh, Gabriel Abed, who's yes. the, yeah, of course, you know, Gabriel, it was really just a group of us and him and I talked extensively about making this happen and I really wanted to push it. So we decided, you know what, let's do it. So it started again, very small community that kept growing and growing over the years. Now we're at about at least in terms of like core community, it's about 150 people. Maybe a little mm. more than that. Um, all who are either directly or indirectly engaged in the space. A few of the regulators who are paying more attention, um, practitioners, educators, etc. So it, it's gotten to a great little community that we are definitely going to continue expanding. And it, we were definitely focused on just building and growing that community first. And now that we're kind of happy with how things are. That became a focus, which really only started near end of last year, that kind of shift into mm-hmm. our ma- our mandates, which as as you were going to bring up are like the education, the public policy, those are the main two. Yes, it's it's critically important when I think about adoption on all sides of the issue, education and it, the advocacy that you're doing to affect positive and as you referenced, smart regulation is essentially important to find that balance between obviously not thwarting the progress of innovation while at the same time protecting consumers. That's always, you know, finding the sweet spot is is always the challenge. You don't want right. hyper regulation or the absence in a vacuum, particularly when you have such high stakes. This is high stakes, high value, the volatility, because we're even, you know, as far as we are into the history of Bitcoin in particular, still relatively early in terms of the nascent stages of how this is built. So critically important to protect on all sides while pushing it forward. So as I think about the three pillars, advocacy, education, the collaboration that you've already described, let's talk specifically about advocacy and education. So you describe it as advocating the use of blockchain technology for both public and private sectors. Talk to us a little bit more about how that is expressed in your work. It's interesting because obviously there's a lot of opportunity for the private sector, but especially in the Caribbean, to be able to use blockchain in the public sector, it it really is a low-hanging fruit, to be honest, and it would be so much more powerful. As you can imagine, everything is extremely fragmented in the Caribbean in terms of public sector. There's a lot of, I guess, disenfranchisement. Um, mm. Things just don't necessarily work too well. Um, you can be, let's say if you needed to renew a license or deal with paperwork or something like that, that could be an all-day effort, sometimes even longer. Um, right. it, it's just very inefficient. And just the idea of, again, this is this would be 
not a small effort, but it is low hanging fruit, for example, you know, a kind of DLT network, a blockchain based network that, you know, maybe combines the, what do you call it, road traffic department, mm. where you get your driver's license, uh, maybe your passport, your national insurance, all these things. Because they're, they may be different departments, but it, it is all government based and these, these sectors should absolutely all talk to each other and they right. don't, which is what makes things so haphazard at the end of the day. I should not have to go to each of these individual places to do maybe one or two things. It, right. It's it's very challenging and it's it definitely affects our um, ease of doing business. That's why a lot of people, they love the idea of going to the Caribbean, but it gets to the point sometimes where maybe they stick it out, but maybe they leave because it's just too much hassle and they're right. just not, maybe they weren't expecting the hassle or you know, it's just very different from maybe the U.S. or Canada. And and imagine the people who live here who, you know, maybe you have to take the whole day off just to deal with some paperwork instead of, you know, a long lunch or something like that. So it, right. it, it's these very small things that kind of add up and affect really the entire economy in harder ways. Yeah, we talk so much about friction in the blockchain space as a matter of moving money, but also facilitating the functioning of government, as you say, is just ripe for opportunity. And it's almost like death by a thousand cuts. There are these yes. micro friction moments that in the aggregate really do impact the bottom line in a negative way, um, both in, in the short term and, and over the arc of the long term. And if you're playing the long term game, then removing those aspects of friction that facilitate more effective governance and government. I think that's very powerful. And that exactly. would be a real strong precursor to the larger community really taking advantage because the private sector is going to advance regardless. But as long as we're all connected and, you know, <laughs> it's a different show to talk about the vision, the original Satoshi or cypherpunk vision is that, no, we don't want any of that. No abort mission. Right. This doesn't operate <laughs> in a vacuum. Right. So. And, <laughs> and even in terms of money, just the, just the idea of we are a bunch of small islands that are pretty close together. Right. Yet, you know, if I wanted to send a bank wire, for example, if I wanted to send money to Jamaica, I have to send money literally to New York at JP Morgan, right? which goes to JP Morgan and then goes down to Jamaica. Like you are literally going, sending money in the opposite direction <laughs> just so I can make a payment. And of course that not only adds time, it adds fees because they charge you for it. And it's, right. it makes something that should be easy 10 times harder and 10 times more expensive. And it's the same with like Western Union. They charge you ridiculous fees just to send money. So my favorite aspect about this entire space is that it's meant to take that away. Absolutely. Remittances was always so clear to me why that was going to be extremely beneficial across the board. But for those, you know, the buzzwords are unbanked and underbanked. Even if you are yep. banked, <laughs> it can be very expensive to participate in and intentionally so. I believe this is a feature, not a bug of the system. Absolutely. So, and you know, from your background in economics that, that this is the way that it was intended to function. And that's one of the many reasons I'm so bullish on the technology, in addition to uh, some aspects of the crypto space, to be sure. And decentralized yeah. finance. I'm the chair of the Maker Foundation and the Maker Dow community. And, you know, just being immersed in decentralized finance and all of the products 
that will be built on layer one across various blockchains, but certainly in, in our environment, in the Ethereum environment, there are a lot of crazy projects. But <laughs> what we will see is some type of bridge between traditional finance and decentralized finance in a way that is upending some aspects of finance. And, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, the things being built on decentralized finance right now are absolutely incredible. And of course, in the next few months, we're going to see a lot more layer two adoption and involvement. So that's going to be the next step basically for advocacy and, and adoption, because then people who may be priced out right now, they will actually be able to jump in a bit more because fees will be much lower. And that leads me to education. So now correct me if I'm wrong, from what I gathered from some of the pre-read that I was doing, a lot of the education investment, some of those the, the projects that you might be involved in, involve software developers within the region in particular, um, in order to empower them to build their own projects. That's a nice segue from where we were. So tell me about that work. And then in addition, any other educational initiatives that you're involved in? Yeah. And to a large degree, it is largely software developer based, uh, not only, but that's the focus mainly because this is software, this is technology at the end of the day. And if we want to build it, it has to, the focus has to be on developers. That's, mm. that's kind of the bottom line. Obviously we want other people to engage, you know, you need your business people, your economists, your designers and everything, but right. you have to have that developer basis. Also just generally because we don't and really have never had that many developers in the Caribbean. There's always a dearth, a small amount. Um, you know, the ones that are there are overwhelmed because everybody right. wants to hire them, which is which is good for them. But at the same time, overall, I, I mean, during the lockdowns, all these businesses realize, oh, they have to get websites. Right. And everyone was bombarding these few developers. And it's like, this is not sustainable. So really, if there's any way we can build developers and then, of course, blockchain developers, that would be extremely powerful. I, Absolutely. I, I tell people this, I say it as a joke, but it's not really a joke. I want to build an army of developers in the Caribbean and it would be incredible. I love that. I just love the imagery of it. Yes, I, I claim that for the Caribbean <laughs> for sure, because this is another, if you are a kind of a first mover in the space, because there's so few really around the world, but we're focusing on the Caribbean in particular, that you put yourself so far ahead of the curve. <laughs> By the time that the majority of people figure this out, you have expertized yourself in a way to make you invaluable and indispensable in an emerging technological space. That is power. Yes. And of course, blockchain developers, I don't want to speak for all of them, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are no <laughs> broke blockchain developers. I know that's I right. You know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do. Like There might be that one person, we don't know, but it's hard to do. Yeah. And the demand is just growing and growing. So we, just in terms of education in general, obviously we do, you know, regular talks. You were on the last one. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of, and we've always done like talks, workshops, stuff like that over the years. The last large scale thing we did was actually a few years ago. We worked with one of the developmental finance organizations in the Bahamas to do this was supposed to be a regional effort but mm -hmm. logistics just made it difficult so it ended up just being local we took quite a few developers here it was about 25 we had them do a block geeks course so it was mainly ethereum solidity mm -hmm. um had them go through that and then at the end of it we did basically a hackathon it was about i want to say 15 
developers that did nice. it and completed it. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, honestly. And I <laughs> kind of want to go out on a limb again and say that was probably the most developers in one room <laughs> in the Bahamas that we've ever had. <laughs> and we definitely learned a lot from that too, in terms of like, how often can we do something like that? What's most sustainable? And after a lot of tweaking, a lot of figuring out what we're focusing on now, especially going into the school year in the next few months, mm-hmm. and this will be the focus throughout 2021 and probably most of 2022, we want to start blockchain clubs at the various universities throughout the Caribbean. Yes. And the idea is basically to you know organize these students, bring them into the space. We have partnerships with a few education organizations as well that mm-hmm. will help with this, which, which is great. And yeah, the idea is just to kind of bring them into the space where they, whether they are developers, uh, maybe some of the business students as well, get them to learn about it, hand off or at least approach universities also with actual courses. And mm-hmm. we'll get to that later on. But the core idea right now is just to get these students in the game pretty much and there are multiple ways to do it obviously the most official way will be through actual university courses Mm -hmm. but there are other kind of programs and platforms that we'll put them on top of so that they can get a lot more hands-on experience and that's really the idea at the end of the day we hope you're enjoying this edition of tech intersect our conversation will continue in a moment but first a word on an exciting opportunity There's a more cost-effective and time-efficient way to reach your leading-edge learning and earning goals, to put you ahead of the stiff competition in this fast-paced, tech-driven economy. You need skills, credentials, and a fast track to a competitive advantage. You need it now more than ever, and I can help. The Advantage Evans Method puts you ahead of the curve with condensed, comprehensive online courses, curated content to leverage your current skills and expertise, live coaching, networking opportunities, and more. Upcoming courses include From Cash to Crypto to help you buy your first Bitcoin, and there are two ways to get your advantage. Advantage Evans Encore gives you maximum experience for your total competitive advantage and access for one year. It includes a live welcome and modules on terminology, buying and selling, exchanges, mining, earning crypto, trading and investing, and also several of the legal issues you need to know in order to be safe and secure as you enter this space. That includes tax compliance, how to plan for a Bitcoin estate, and securities laws to make sure you avoid any legal unforced errors. Now, Advantage Core gives you the essentials. It's a short course to give you what you want and the support you need to buy your first crypto in as little as three weeks with access to the information and replays for three months. And if you're not quite ready for your advantage and want a sneak peek to try before you buy, then register for a free masterclass where I share my Crypto 101 success checklist and cover current hot topics in crypto. So there truly is something for everyone, including you, to get in on the fast track and learn and earn in the digital economy. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get started. That's AdvantageEvans.com. And now, back to the conversation. That's really powerful because it's it's obviously changing their life in this generation, but this type of education is not a one-time experience that that is transformative for them, for their families. 
and for generations. And I know that you, in, in the same way that I am, very focused on generational wealth and how to create that. Yeah. Moving beyond just having a job or a career or even being a high income earner, but about wealth, which is very different. And wealth in one generation, let alone generational wealth, so that the next generation is not starting over again. Because if the future generation is, quote unquote, starting over again, they're not starting over from point one. They're actually significantly behind. 100%. And I don't know if it's just my pandemic counting at this point, because one year is like 10 years. <laughs> I don't even know what year it is right now. <laughs> right? Time doesn't exist anymore. But I know that time does not exist. <laughs> We're in some type of vortex. I'm not quite sure what's happening, but I feel just like the acceleration of technology and time has something to do with getting a little bit older as well. But I just feel like the pace, it's almost like I was describing it to a, a creative friend. We were kind of riffing and the idea of birth pangs. Yeah. And the closer you get to that creative moment, the faster things come. That's really I just interesting. feel a, a certain you know, like this, this energy, this energy of what is to be born. So I, you know, encourage everybody to really figure out what that might mean for them. And if you feel that sense of, uh, I also describe it as roots sometimes grow, not sometimes growing down before you see that first piece of earth pushed aside mm. as a seedling emerges, but there's a lot going on. The surface, I like that. Right. So what is it about what is to come and how are we positioning ourselves to take advantage of it? Because we have a, a unique, and by you and we, and now I'm speaking to Black and Brown communities in particular, mm -hmm. traditionally locked out by gatekeepers from tech and from finance. And now we're talking about the intersection of them both in the crypto space. Right. But it's a unique opportunity. And the work that you're doing is really empowering people. Uh, and I know, let's speak a moment about your views on empowerment of the community in particular. Yeah. And I mean, just the way you said how we're typically locked out, imagine basically double that or maybe even five times that for the caribbean because mm. we're just we're also geographically locked out and financially locked out because we're dealing with this de-risking problem where a lot of the correspondent banks that we that our banks kind of work with mm. are just breaking off business with the caribbean in general a lot of the banks that were here are pulling out which leaves many communities even the ones who were banked before it makes them unbanked and it gives less options less chances to really engage in the economy in, in a very significant way right and it's it's a massive problem and like you kind of alluded to before it's by design right this isn't you know it's not like an accident i don't know how, how deep to go here but it is a a kind of branch of imperialism where right. the larger countries know what they're doing to the small countries and they kind of don't care um right. yeah it makes me think of haiti and and also you know it, it is just to see things play out over the decades and the centuries i mean the, the blueprint is already there about how that works the question yep. is in what ways in each generation do we chip away at that and triple exactly chip away and so the work that you're doing is definitely doing that and we are in this time with this next iteration of the internet with global reach, decentralized processes, and the work that you're doing to empower people on the education side mm -hmm. to not just participate as consumers. Consumerism often holds us back as well. Yes, 100%. Being a builder is really where it's at. I always think of like a sports analogy. 
if somebody's willing to pay a basketball player ten million dollars or a hundred million dollars, whatever somebody gets over the <laughs> lifetime of their career, what's the person who's paying? What are they? That, that's that's the person I want to be. That, that's money with a capital M. Right. That I'm in a position to pay somebody ten large. That's saying something completely different. And that's why you know I, I'm really excited to get these students into into the game because if you get these young people into blockchain, it could completely alter the direction that they were going in in the best way possible where you know you could have the software developers doing code building on platforms building on some of these protocols getting into say you know the ethereum foundation the algorand foundation all of those right and then at the same time you have maybe some of the business or finance students diving into DeFi and learning all of this crazy stuff with like AMMs, lending protocols. And, and uh, say what an AMM is, is, because some people are not going to know automated money. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it. You say it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Automated market market makers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the finance people will understand yes. how market makers run in, <laughs> how market makers run in, in the financial industry uh, for stock markets, all that stuff. And the idea is you have protocols like like uniswap for example where it is i'm not going to say completely but is largely decentralized right. where you know you have the people who are giving liquidity in a again decentralized way and you know you have that liquidity in the liquidity pool and other people can use that liquidity to trade so it, there doesn't need to be a bank in the middle right. there doesn't need to be you know someone to make these trades for you you're literally doing it as an independent unit and everyone else is kind of a part of the ecosystem. And, you know, nobody can turn it off. Nobody can say stop right now. Right. And that's kind of what DeFi is in general. It's all these different aspects that are kind of replicating how traditional finance works, but in a complete in a, in a way that's completely shut off from the current financial system in a way that, you know, <laughs> Goldman Sachs and, and BlackRock can't just come in and say, oh, no, you have to stop this or change the game. Right. The, the game can't be changed because it's on these centralized networks. Absolutely. And that's why it's so powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it was something that traditional finance balked at, made fun of. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, how can I get in? <laughs> this is what I love about Bitcoin. You know, I guess you, we have about 19 million in circulation of the 21 million that will ever be in circulation. And traditional finance all of a sudden woke up. Yep. But most of it is either lost on someone's hard drive or already in the hands of the others. And that's, exa- Very that's fascinating. exactly it. Very and fascinating. I mean, you know, the way capitalism works, the way wealth works is that it, it does kind of concentrate and centralize. Uh, and you can't mm-hmm. completely get away from that. But it's so powerful that, like, let's say hypothetically, and this would never actually happen, but let's say BlackRock is able to buy 90% of, of the Bitcoin in the world, right? Mm-hmm. They could own that and it, they would still not be able to change the Bitcoin network in any way. They would still right. have no actual power. So they would have the wealth, but they would not have the power to, mm. to kind of force any change or, or push anything. And I think that's the most important part so yeah the the you know we're still in the type of ecosystem where wealth does go to may may or not still go to the higher people but the power is not attached to that so in this current system the power is directly attached to the wealth 
in the you know decentralized system it's not and i think that's very important for people to know and to understand because i i do see a lot of hate against the space that's like oh you're just making these people rich blah 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 and my first question is who are who are these people because there are a lot of right people in the space who were not who did not have any money before and on the other hand there is that power aspect that they don't understand like no one can just jump in and control things that is really powerful that's going to really stick with me and i hope with my listeners as well my final question related to the shift in power and in value, the major focus and spotlight for this first quarter of 2021, the second now, Mm -hmm. and at the end of last year in particular, the non-fungible token boom in the creative space and in creativity and collectibles. I'm seeing a lot and working with a number of artists who for the first time are directly engaging with their community, collectors, investors, doing an end run around um, the gatekeepers, again, since that's kind of a theme today, of galleries and auction houses. And then there's a lot of other frenetic craziness out there too, speculation and throwing any old JPEG up and trying to send it, sell it for a lot of ETH. What are your thoughts about the NFT space? <laughs> well, you know I'm biased, but <laughs> I've <laughs> I've literally never been and and to be fair it's between DeFi and NFTs, but it's mostly NFTs. I've never been so excited about this space <laughs> and to watch it kind of build up and blow up. So I personally got into NFTs I want to say August of last year. Yeah. And around that time it was still pretty niche, right? It was starting to get a little more traction but still most people had no idea what it was. And then all of a sudden in like January and February, it just went insane. <laughs> nobody, nobody saw it coming. I definitely didn't see it coming. And <laughs> I just saw it as, you know, this, this, is, this is pretty cool. I enjoy this. I love the art. Yeah. I don't mind spending a little bit of money to buy this art, especially if I, because I'm not really, I'm very much an art person, but I, mm. I, don't, I don't have the space to, to, you know, buy physical art. So this was literally like, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is like, okay, this is perfect for me. I can just have this artwork in my wallet. Mm -hmm. I can look at it whenever Mm because I'm on my phone any, all the time anyway. (laughs) Right. And and this kind of signifies why, and and I mean, this is coming from the collective side as well, why it's so powerful for people, you know, millennials or, or, you know, the Gen Z that, that will definitely come up. It's them understanding what, digital ownership is in a really meaningful way. And it's kind of the extension of what Bitcoin and Ethereum, et cetera, did, where you're you're understanding how you can interact with the space as a person who may not even have, you know, a lot of wealth or or what have you. And on the artist side, it's listen, digital artists <laughs> and I didn't even really realize this until I, mm. I realized it, but not in such a big way until now. They have it so hard. Like people steal their work all the time. People right. are like, oh, I'll just download this and run away with it. And they're not really that respected in the art world either. And this is the first time they have some kind of power. They have some kind of ability to rise up with these non-fungible tokens because now not only can they finally sell their work in a way that's you know not based on commissions or mm-hmm. not easily stealable, they're also kind of building their own ecosystem where they're it's not just like an artist and a collector. It's like these artists are maybe getting money from their sales and then turning around and saying, okay, now I'm going to buy 
this other person's art and yes. they're building this entire community of, of people that are funding each other and building each other up. And it's mm. honestly the, the one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's absolutely incredible. That gave me chills. I love that because it's the reseeding. It's that we were all constantly talking about the recirculation of dollars within a community to really, you know, the velocity of money and, and what that looks like absolutely. to support this new ecosystem. Ooh, you had a lot of gems today. <laughs> you had a lot of gems. You had all the gems. Oh, Stefan, clearly I could go on forever. There's so much to talk about. For sure. I always enjoy every time we are connecting either with our voices or with our thumbs on the Twitters. But this will be the first book, but definitely not the last. Let's, I'm going to have you come back every so often and let's see where we are with DeFi, NFTs, and the thing that we don't know yet <laughs> that will happen next year that we just don't know what that is yet. <laughs> Dows. Okay, right. Definitely Dows. Well, you know, you had me a Dow, so <laughs> there's that. All right. <laughs> Tell the good people how they can uh, stay in touch with you, get to know more about you and your work. And I will also share this information in the show notes. Excellent. Um, so to find out about Caribbean Blockchain Alliance, you could go to our website at cbahub.org, which is cbahub.org. We also are in, we're, we're in pretty much everything, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Most of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance stuff will be on LinkedIn. For me personally, you can find me again on everything, but I'm mainly on Twitter, at least in terms of blockchain related things. I, I, I'm slowly realizing that <laughs> I'm going to piss somebody off when I say this, but I'm starting to really hate LinkedIn. And I'm starting to really fall in love with Twitter. Yeah. And it's like, if you're not on Twitter, you're, you're not even really in Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> right. It's nice if you're an artist to kind of have your Instagram as well, but that is secondary to the primary engagement and community building. And that 100%. Twitter's where it's at. The community is all on Twitter. So you can find me there. You can just type my full name and it'll come up. Stefan Delevo. Uh, my tag is S-T-E-F-D-E-L-E-V for the more direct tag. But yeah, that's where you find me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, my friend. I look forward to our future conversations and I look forward to mixing it up with you out there in those Twitter streets as well. Absolutely. And thanks again. Wow. Thank you so very much, Stefan, for sharing your work wisdom and mission with the Tech Intersect family. Here are a few takeaways. Now is the time to learn about cryptocurrencies, decentralized finance, coding, building in a Web 3.0 world, and staying ahead of the curve. Things are moving fast, faster with each passing year and month and week and day. So now is the time to advocate, to educate, and collaborate. The future of finance, creativity, wealth, and power is now. So let's go and let's grow. Before we sign off, please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.